Hey, yes, welcome back, everybody, once again to Tips from the Server Room. This is episode number 103 for December the 15th, 2015. I'm your host, Jack, and I'm going to guide you through this magical world of networks, switches, fiber optics, Cat5, Cat6, servers, and all things that we do each and every day to make life a little bit livable for everybody that we work for. This show is a proud member of the Tech Podcast Network. If it's tech, it's here. Check out all the great tech shows at techpodcast.com. Also remember, we are syndicated across stitcher.com. That's S-T-I-T-C-H-E-R.com, where you can pick up this show as well as many other uh, podcasts out there as uh, many, many other genres. So if you're into podcasts and listening to shows, you know, uh, over time and uh, where you must be or where you must go, then this is a great little app for your smartphone. Download that on your iOS phone today or Android. Please also don't forget to check out the website at tipsfromtheserverroom.com. And you can comment on these shows. You can also leave me a voice message at 724-701-0550. Once again, that's 724-701-0550. And friends, don't forget on the tipsfromtheserverroom.com website, there is the online courses to learn Windows Server 2008 R2, Windows Server 2012 R2, or, or VMware ESXi 5.5. And you can learn everything from install to administration. So check out those courses. They're very inexpensive. A lot of people have taken them already, and it might be something you want to look at. So I just wanted to throw that to you at the top of the show today. If you have any questions or ideas for future shows, I would love to hear from you. You can email me at jackstechcorner at gmail.com. You can also follow me on Twitter, and that is at Technoman. Now, tonight, I have one of those shows for you where we're going to do probably a little babbling. Uh, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about my experiences and uh, what I've been running into uh, this past couple weeks, um, or even since just since the last show. Um it seems like it's been weeks because what we've been into each and every day has just been a ton of work, uh, just a load of work. And <clears throat> uh, some of my negativity uh, that, I, that, that you catch from your users, it's a positive growth thing, uh, but we're going to talk about that a little bit. And I'm going to uh, kind of maybe get your feel for it and how you deal with uh, this type of issue because we do have issues in our jobs. Uh, I'm sure you realize that as well as many other people out there do. So the first thing we're going to talk about is, uh, and we talked about this a little bit last week, uh, is firewalls and routings, routing of packets. And this will kind of lead me into my next segment uh, that we're going to discuss a little bit. Well, we all understand firewalls and how firewalls work and why we need them, why it's such a, a, a very integrated part of our systems as network specialists or server specialists or wherever you're at in the field, you're going to run into a firewall one way or the other. It's just simply the way it works. Now, a firewall is many people believe that the firewall, as well as I did probably a week ago, was mainly to keep out the bad guys. And that is its primary role in our network is to keep out the intruders, right? We don't want the intruders coming into our network. So what we do is, we set up a firewall. 
Now, I am an old-time Cisco guy. I love Cisco gear. Uh, I've been using it for a long time, and I know there's a lot of other gear out there you can use for firewalls, and if you're using it, that's that's very good. At least you have a firewall running. And as long as you understand it and how to get your packets moving out and in, then it's, it's a win-win situation for you. Let's talk a little bit about, um, just checking the feed here, let's talk a little bit about, <coughs> excuse me, the firewall itself. So about a week ago, I would have told you that the firewall is used to keep bad guys out and let the good guys send traffic out to the internet and retrieve information back. That's its primary role. But what we, what we also learned this week is your firewall, even though it's hanging at the back end of your network, if you're using that firewall as your default gateway, all right? So what I'm talking about here is normally it would be your router. But if you don't have a router, you can use that last point of uh, exit of your network to the next network as your default gateway. So let's say your default gateway is 192.16.1.1. And, or let's say 172, I'm sorry, 172.16.1.1. An internal network, we're going to talk a little bit about creating IPs and, and structure there in a little bit. But And that's been your default gateway forever. Well, what happens is if you introduce a... Um, uh, if you introduce a core switch, a layer three switching, and you're going to start creating VLANs on your network. What we found this week, it was very interesting to us, was that when you go to use that 172 bank of IP addresses, you're going to start having a lot of problems doing any routing through your VLANs because your network is set up all on the 172 subnet. So what's, what's that telling you and what it was explained to me was well those ips are already used on your network so you can't actually bring that back and start routing it unless you shut down the firewall and start over from scratch well we didn't want to do that because we have active users on the network active users on the internet we have to figure out a way to build a new network and keep the old network running at the same time. Now, you want to really get into something difficult, step into that quicksand and see how fast you'll start sinking. We set up our initial um, our, our initial switches, uh, matter of fact, Cisco 296s, 2960s, and then we set up um, a core switch, a Cisco 4700X, a fiber core switch, very nice switch, very powerful Um and the first thing we were asked was, and we'll talk about who was asking me these questions. We'll, we'll kind of uh, fall into that. The first thing we was asked was, well, what do you want to use to do your routing, your packet routing? Do you want to use your new switch, your layer three switch? That's what we bought it for. Or do you want to use your firewall? Well, I started thinking, and um, I've had pretty extensive training in it, and have taken a lot of classes on firewall management of the Cisco ASA uh, firewall. So I said at first, I said, well, I would rather use the firewall because I know it. And if I can throw the commands in there and understand where they're at and understand what they do, then I think that would be the perfect, uh, perfect device for routing. Well, it turns out that we checked. And if you're ever going to use your firewall for routing, first check for its maximum throughput. Okay. It's maximum data traffic throughput that it can handle. And we found it to be, I believe it was 4,500 megabits. Okay, so 4,500 megabits. And we started talking, 
And I was talking over with my partner at work and we're, we're kicking this around. And we said, well, it seems to me that the new core switch, instead of the firewall doing all the internet traffic and the uh, VLAN switching and the VLAN routing, it would probably be better to offload that VLAN routing back to that core switch. That's what we bought it for in the first place was to do the routing of the VLANs. What that allows you to do, it gets your traffic off of the actual firewall and allows the firewall just to handle internet traffic and your core switch to handle your VLAN traffic. So there was a little issue because luckily I was looking ahead and I said, look, when we bought our gear, we scoped out Cisco equipment because I understand the Cisco ISO or the Cisco programming language and how to program those from the command line. So I thought, well, that would be the perfect solution because I could probably learn very quickly how to program a switch. And it turned out that we did. A lot of the commands that you use in the Cisco firewall stands to reason work in the Cisco switch. The only thing we did find out is the Cisco firewall is naturally a little bit older at this point. Uh, it's probably, I probably bought that five years ago, I guess, maybe five years. Uh, if I have to think about that, it might've been five. And I bought it right after I went to a security class. I went to a Cisco ASA security class. And when I went to that Cisco ASA security class, um, what happened was the, uh, why is this up there? Let's get rid of that. The um, instructor there says, you know, what kind of firewall do you have now? What kind of, and I said, well, I have a Cisco PIX firewall. And he goes, well, the first thing you got to do when you get back to your company is tell them we need to get rid of that PIX firewall and buy a Cisco ASA firewall. And the reason is, is because the Cisco PIX is way outdated. They're not updating the iOS anymore uh, for, you know, for the actual, uh, or, you know, the image that runs it, the operating system. So you want to get a new, newer Cisco ASA. So we did. The next thing when you're looking at your firewalls and you're looking, if you're looking to purchase a new one, uh, I think I told you guys before, I really like the Cisco 5500, the 5500. Uh, for small business applications, uh, a lot of you I know are working as consultants. Um, it's just a really nice firewall. I believe it has five or six ports on the back. So you have a lot of room for expansion. You have a lot of room for setting up your DMZs uh, off of that firewall. So there's just a lot of place for growth. And I think that's really important when you buy any gear these days. Look down the road. Don't look what you need to buy today. And I think we talked about this before. Look what you need to buy down the road. So that's what you want to look for. Um, and, and we don't always know, but make sure that you have room for expansion. That's what I'm saying. It's very important. So... The Cisco 5500 is what I learned to program on. And what we found out was after talking to the instructor was it's not going to have the throughput we need for, you know, 900, 1,000, you know, 2,000 nodes going through there every day to hit for the internet traffic. So he said, you're going to want to buy a bigger Cisco firewall. And what, when I explained that, when I came back and I explained that to my company and they said, look, uh, Jack, well, we're not going to send you to classes anymore. I said, well, it was a good thing you sent me to class because I learned that we're outdated. We need to, uh, you know, upgrade our firewall and to put a better firewall in there. So we got a bigger firewall at that point. Yes, it costs more money, but remember my old saying, you're never going to use less internet traffic. You're just not. You're always going to add more and more and more internet traffic to that firewall. So that's the firewall aspect. But we found it was older than the new switch. 
So some of the commands I was used to programming into the firewall no longer worked on the new uh, operating system that the switches were running on. So I had to be retaught that. And that's getting me into the next part here. But what we did find out was as you're routing packets in your switch, in your VLANs, when you're routing those packets, those packets to get to the internet eventually have to go through the firewall. So you have to go back to your firewall and you have to route those packets back into your firewall and make sure your firewall is going to allow that traffic from a different IP subnet out of your network. It's very critical. Also make sure your ACLs, and if you don't know what an ACL is, it's an access control list. Make sure your access control lists are also set up so you can take and program your what you're allowing out and what you're allowing in. Make sure you're gonna allow that traffic to come back in that proper subnet that you just created. If not, you may be pinging around the network and talking to all your computers and talking to your servers and everything seems to be working really, really well. But in the end, what's gonna happen here is you're not gonna be able to get any internet. So it's not gonna go out on the internet. Uh, and we got to the point where we could ping the firewall, it could see the firewall, we knew the firewall was sitting there. But every time we opened a browser, there was no internet traffic. Another tidbit of information for you. If you're setting up a firewall, um, and getting into this, this next part here, but if you're setting up a firewall, uh, as mine has been set up, and I programmed it myself, remember I went through the security class, and we were taught to shut off ICMP. Now, ICMP is a pinging protocol. It's the pinging protocol that you can ping. What you want to do is where it says you do an ACL and say from outside to and have your, you know, your subnets um, and take ICMP and deny it or reply only uh, with no reply. What that's going to allow you to do is if a hacker out there finds your subnets and finds your IP addresses and they start trying to do a, a ping or a denial of service attack, you know, and trying to hit that firewall, it's going to reject those packets and say, no, there's nothing there. And then they're going to move on to another subnet of networks and try to try to hack somebody else and leave you alone. So to me, that's the first part of the defensive part of your firewall. But when we were trying to ping the firewall, or no, we were trying to ping outside. So we were trying to ping Google's DNS. And if you don't know what Google's DNS server is, it's 8.8.8.8. You can use it on any computer. It makes your DNS uh, lookups extremely quick and uh, because they have naturally an extremely amount of servers. And it just makes everything really fast to find it. So what we found out after that that we couldn't get a ping reply. And I said, well, wait a minute, let's open up a browser. Because I went in, I put my routes and everything in the firewall and I knew I was routing packets. I knew I'd get packets out to the internet. And so I said, let's just open up a web browser and see if we get on the internet. And sure enough, everything worked fine. So don't always rely on one certain form of testing your network. And I know ping is huge. We use ping every day. Every day we've been using ping I've been living in Telnet and I've been living in um, terminal uh, programs because a terminal program, you know, you hook in with a serial cable and try to find a laptop today with a serial port. It's not going to really happen. You're going to have a hard time trying to find a laptop with a serial port. 
So they make these really nice uh, designed inventions. Somebody designed it and came up with a great idea to put a USB plug on a serial cable, and then you can plug it into your switch into your console port. We've been living in these programs for the past two weeks now when we're putting these switches in. Um, for programming the actual switches themselves, for, from um, programming uh, the console, you know, to put your initial IP addresses in. And then once we get the initial IP addresses in, we pull the console port out and then we telnet into those, <coughs> excuse me, we telnet into those through the IP address of uh, one of our VLANs, whatever VLAN we're on. And we're going to talk about something very interesting that you may not know about that I found out this week. So that is exactly how all of those are set up, how the firewall goes, how you have to route packets on the firewall if you're routing one to VLANs. So now let me talk to you a little bit about thoughts on Cisco engineers and how important it is to seek professional assistance. We as technologists, and I know I do, I know my partner at work does, and I know a lot of people I've had working for me over the years, we have very, very large egos. Our egos are to the point where we don't want to ask somebody else to help us because we should be able to figure it out because we are great technologists. We are probably the greatest technologists that ever lived, right, in our own minds. The truth is, if you get to a stumbling point and there's something you don't know, okay, folks, and believe me, absolutely, hands down, you can't know everything. I said that, I, thought, I think I said that before, you can't know, I don't like even how I said that. Um, none of us out there, no technologist can know everything about everything. I think all of us have a specialty, and I think you can admit this if you're listening to the show. Uh, you know, you're looking for pointers and tips from these shows. That's why you listen to these podcasts and hopefully uh, catch up on my YouTube videos. But the big thing is you, you just can't know it all because there's so much. And some days people will come up to us and say, oh, did you hear about that new memory? Or did you hear about that new bus speed of a motherboard? And we probably didn't. And the reason is, is because we're so far up the chain and working at, at a different level at this point. But uh, in the education field, you know where I am, and probably in a small business or a company, I used to work in some smaller companies, I wore all the hats. I was the network administrator one day. I'd throw that hat in the corner. Next day, I was the server administrator. I'd throw that hat in the corner. Next day, I was the PC repair guy. I would throw that hat in the corner. And the next day, I was the guy that ran out and got some coffee for everybody, and I threw that hat in the corner. So we can't get to that point where you are an expert at everything. So you do have to seek outside professional help. So we did. And it's funny. Here's what happened was um, I knew when I was starting this project, at least I had in the back of my mind, that I need to put some money aside in case I need to find somebody to help me program these Cisco switches because I know how switches are set up. I've ran thousands and thousands of flat networks. So if you know what a flat network is, I'm sure you do. Um, we'll touch base with that though. A flat network is basically everything runs, everything on your network runs on what's called VLAN one. VLAN one is the default VLAN that every vendor, I think in the world puts on their switches. You plug a port in, you plug a port on your servers and everything just works. Everything's communicating. All the ports are set up on VLAN one. So, when you do that, you have what's called a flat network. So flat network allows a lot of data collisions. It allows a lot of crosstalk. 
Uh, and people don't understand. I think people that don't do our business, and, I, and I'm trying to help educate people that don't do our business to understand the time-consuming part of our work. And I think that's hard. That's hard for all of us. Um, and it's not even our ego getting in the way. It's just allow us time to change things and to do our job because it's very demanding. It's very hard. Um, yeah, okay. Look, I, I've came home before and I've been extremely exhausted. I'll plop on the couch and I fall fast asleep. And I'll get up in an hour and my wife will say, or not my wife, she's pretty good to what I do. She understands it. But um, we might have a friend there or something. Why do you take a nap? Why, why do you do fall asleep after work? You don't lay brick. You don't, you know, dig holes or you don't work on a road crew. Uh, you don't put roofs on houses. Why are you tired? You sit in a desk chair all day. Well, there's a couple of things that the desk chair will give you. I know of two things. One is unpleasant, as it may sound, hemorrhoids. Two, as unpleasant as it sounds, an aching headache. So your backside's hurting and this side's hurting, your head. So because we have to think, our brains are thinking so much and so rapidly when we're doing our work. So, but you can't get to that point where you know everything about everything because there's so much, it's so vast. And talking to my partner at work, we're discussing it and I said, look, well, he said, he said, look, networking is, is an expertise all on its own. Once you get away from that flat network, which I've built thousands of them and, and they work, they're still working. There's a lot of them working. But when you have 2,000, 3,000 nodes talking on that flat network and all that connectivity and all that chatter, and I really suggest, and I hope you do this, I hope you've done it, use a program called Wirecast. It's absolutely free. Put it on your computer. It works on Windows and a Mac. Bring it up and just look at the in, the network traffic that's going on your network if you run a flat network. You will see network traffic just piling up, piling up. And it's interesting because you see things that's weird. You see things like printers are talking. Printers, uh, a fax machine, if it's plugged in your network, are talking. If you have um, VoIP phones, they're communicating all the time, even if you're not communicating on the VoIP phone. All this stuff wants to chatter on your network, all right? There's a lot of what's known as broadcast traffic. So it's just broadcasting. Hey, I'm here. I'm here. I'm over here. I'm over here. Use me. No, use me. And and then when you get down to serious business, you say, okay, I want to use my server. I want to use an application. Well, there's so much crosstalk that it can slow that application down because you have so much cross. Everything's on that VLAN one. But when you get away from that, you start VLANing, which... It's, it's, believe me, uh, the concept is not new to me. Um, I've done a lot of uh, training on it, a lot of uh, understanding and learning. And building the actual VLANs is, is easy enough for me, uh, giving them IP addresses and, and all that stuff that we talked about. That's easy enough. But folks, making the VLANs talk, and I asked for your help, I think, last week, was making your VLANs talk to each other and be able to get from, like, say, uh, a VLAN 99, say like 172.16.99.10 and be able to talk to 10.16.1.2 somewhere in your network, that's the part that's incredibly mind-boggling to the point where you have to sometimes pick up the phone. So I did. I picked up the phone and I'm going to tell you an interesting story. Well, first, where do you find a Cisco certified engineer or Cisco partner? I didn't have a clue. I'm going to help you out with that tonight though. I didn't have a clue where I could find that person. So 
I did a web search and looked for, you know, in the local area. You folks know that I'm in the Pittsburgh region. So I looked in Pittsburgh region for computer uh, networking people, blah, 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 whatever. And I called the first company. I said, hi, you know, uh, gave them my name. I said, look, uh, I'm looking, we're putting these switches in, Cisco switches. We're having trouble routing packets. Uh, we're not sure exactly what we're doing wrong. We want to know if somebody will come into the to the school and help us out. And that guy goes, well, he said, sir, thank you so much for calling. He said, I appreciate you calling us. He said, but I got to be really honest with you. And I appreciated this because a lot of technologists, and I hope you don't fall in this boat, are not honest people. If you don't know or if you're going to get into something over your head, don't do it. Don't tell the customer, yeah, I'm definitely an expert at that. I'll be right out, Charlie, and I'll help you out. No, don't send them somewhere else, somebody that can help them and keep your reputation. That's what this boils down to. Because if you give one client uh, bad service or if you're in their office and you're Googling answers, chances are they're going to give you some bad rap down the road. You're not going to get a lot of new clients. So stay with your expertise. So... (laughs) He told me, he says, well, let me tell you, sir. He said, first of all, we're for small and medium-sized businesses. He said, we that's really not our expertise is, is Cisco at all. He says, we use um, some other kind of firewalls and switches. He said, and there's a lot of them out there that will help you, but we're really just not your people. And I said, you know what? I truly appreciate that. I truly appreciate your help. I appreciate your understanding and, and being concerned for my company. Thank you so much. I said, but where do I find a Cisco partner, a Cisco certified person? I mean, do I just type a Google search Cisco certified person in Pittsburgh or Detroit or wherever you may live? And he told me, and I'm going to bring this up for you, and I'm going to show you this because I think it's really cool. Uh, Let's actually switch over here and get rid of that. And we'll bring this up. So he showed this to me, um, and I know, I'm, I'm sorry, the people on the podcast uh, can't see this. I'm actually showing Cisco.com uh, is where I'm at uh, on the uh, video here. And he said, all you have to do is go to their website, Cisco's website, look for a partner. I said, well, that seems relatively easy enough. So I went up and looked at their partners. And I'm going down through here, so certification programs, uh, manager profile, uh, local retailer, find a partner locator. And I clicked on Partner Locator, um, and I did this earlier here before the show, and I found out that it's not coming up for some reason. Uh, I have no idea why it's not coming up uh, or it's running extremely slow. But you see where it's at anyway. Uh, And for the radio audience, under Partners, go down to Find a Local Reseller and click on Partner Locator. When I did that, I actually came up on a, a ton of resources. You put in there your city and you just click next and boom. All these people on here, Cisco knows that they're trained, they're certified as Cisco specialists. And on the uh, young man that came to help us, even on his business card, it said Cisco certified partner. So, and it wasn't him. He actually worked for a bigger company um, and he was extremely knowledgeable because when he first, well, when the company called, I called the company and I set up an appointment. The, uh, the service man or the Cisco certified gentleman called me back and I said, so, sir, what are you looking to do? And I said, well, this is what we have. Uh, we have new switches we're putting in. Uh, you know, we, we're plugging them up. They're running now on VLAN 1. Every time we try to create a VLAN, we can't route anywhere. It doesn't work. We don't understand what we're doing wrong. And uh, I'm being very honest with him. You let, your, you let that ego part of you 
go. Let the ego drop and say, look, I don't understand this aspect of it. And that's okay because myself and my partner had, uh, let's say a good, even three days at eight hours a day. So you take my wage and his wage, put them together. If you have people working for you, maybe you have five people working on this issue. You have all those salaries. That's called the TOC, right? The total cost of ownership. It's costing you a ton of money. You're burning money and you're not getting anywhere. So pick up the phone. So he says, well, sir, um, okay, what else do you want to know? I said, well, I want you to be able to teach myself and my partner that I work with, but make sure you teach us. I don't want a consultant to come in. Don't ever let a consultant come in your business that you're working for or with or that you're working, yeah, working for. And don't let that consultant, and if you're this type of consultant, some companies want that. I worked for a few doctors also. They didn't, they didn't care what I did as long as I fixed it. Um, but I asked him, I said, will you teach us what you're doing as you're doing it? I know we're going to be looking over your shoulder. And, you know, if there's that extra money we got to pay or something for that, well, so be it. But when he leaves, we want to have a really good understanding of what he did and how he made it work. And he said, absolutely, sir. No problem at all. I can do that for you. I will help you out. I will show you what I did. And he said, we will draw it out for you. He said, and everything else. He said, no problem. Uh, and he said, the only thing he asked me for, well, two things. He asked me for one. He said, do you have a drawing of your network? Well, I do, because I told you I've been using Cisco Packet Tracer to design and draw this network before we go start plugging cables in. I said, yeah, I do have it drawn out. He said, can you send that to me? I said, absolutely. The next thing he wanted was the configuration file that we had created on the core switch on the 4700X. And I said, I can send that to you also. Because what he was asking for, and this is very good if you're a consultant, get a picture in your head before you get on site. Because another thing, we're not pirates. And I always tell people that. I got so many jobs as consultant because I'm not a pirate. In other words, I don't come out and sit in your office and say, okay, um, what do you want me to do? Yeah, um, what's going on? No. I know the scope of work before I ever step foot in there, in their door. When I walk in their door, say if it's for the first time and they want, I don't know, file share set up on their server, I know this before I ever walk in. And I say, well, okay, where's your server located at? And let's get started. That way I'm not wasting their money and my valuable time. So remember that. That's really key. And I know we try to, and I know it might be your business and you're trying to earn money, uh, but the client is the number one person. Now we work again in the education. So our client are, you know, staff, administrators, teachers, um, as well as students. That's our clients. And we try to support them clients as much as we possibly can. 150% to the client to make sure things work. So the gentleman is really good there. He came in, he started uh, doing his thing. Uh, and the first thing he wanted to do was get to fill the network to see what we had already. And now he's introducing a new network into our network. And he's the one that told me actually about the firewall stuff, uh, about you know using it to route VLANs, or um, talking more about the um, uh, using the switch to route the VLAN. So it was very, very good. It was money well spent. Um, the total time that he was there, the total dollars that I put aside I knew I had plenty of, of cash to pay this gentleman. He gave me his hourly rate, which was extremely, incredibly uh, low or, or on task, I think, 
maybe not, I shouldn't say low, because we had to pay this gentleman. Look, it's not a page on available gateway timed out. But anyway, um, whatever. But his his rate was really good. And like my rate too, I don't I don't pirate people. I don't go out there and say, oh, I want none, $250 an hour. And that's all right. I don't want that because I want the client to call me back. And I think that's what this company wants. They want our return business and, and they're going to get some more. And I'll tell you about that. So he came in, uh, the total day, uh, all day long was uh, like seven hours, seven hours. And I asked him to be there at nine in the morning. He showed up at seven 30 and thank goodness he did because we needed that little bit extra time. He needed it too, to help us to get where we would need to be. But when he left, all the packets are routing, all the VLANs are talking to each other. We have a great understanding about how to program these uh, switches ourselves now. Um, and another thing, this is what I wanted to bring up to you here. Let me bring us back over here. This is another thing I wanted to bring up to you here was, um, let me bring my show notes back up so I know where I'm at. Um, the other thing was the the being able to ask him the questions we needed to ask. And here was the question. You may know this answer. And if you don't, you're going to learn it right now. So we said, our thing was, so if you have VLANs, VLANs, if you know, normally are set up on a class C network. So you have 253 addresses to work with for, for your nodes. Well, obviously if we have 2000 nodes, 3000 nodes, whatever the total is today. And I say that because we have a BYOD uh, policy, bring your own device policy. So if you bring in four iPads, I don't care. All four iPads can have an IP address. How do we know? First of all, we can't statically assign IP address. We can to office computers, uh, teaching staff, or if you're working a drafting firm, every drafting computer, you can assign a static. You can, you can do that. But we wanted to make sure that we had DHCP as an option. And I said, look, I've been doing a lot of studying on this. And I said, I found out that I can put a DHCP command on the core switch under each VLAN, give it a, a range, and it will hand out the IP address itself. And he said, absolutely, absolutely, Jack, you can do that. Not a problem. And I said, well, wait. Um, no, he said, well, wait, there's a better way, though. And we said, well, what's that? What, what would be the better way to do it? He said, you have a DHCP server. I said, well, of course we do. We've had one. You have to have a DHCP server uh, unless you want to static everything, which is totally out of the question. And I said, we have a lot of students bringing stuff in. I can't ask every student to come down and, and we program an IP address into their device. I said, that's not going to fly. Or, or even reserve an IP based on a MAC address. That's not going to fly. That's going to be horrible. He taught us, you go to your DHCP server and you create a new scope. And that new scope, let's say, for instance, let's just take VLAN 30. So you have VLAN 30. You know the address of your VLAN 30, let's say, is... Um, let's say it's 192.168.1.1. So that's your VLAN 30, okay? For whatever reason, 192.168, we'll make it easy, 30.1, okay? 192.168.30.1. You go to your DHCP server, you say set up a new scope, call it VLAN 30, give it the name of the VLAN, whatever name it was, so you, consistency, so you know you can see all the stuff in your head. And then you set up a new scope, and you give it 192.168.30.10 to 192.168.30.253 to have that whole scope, that whole C network scope. And uh, you go through all the other things and save it. I said, well, how, does that, how is it going to know 
who's plugged into what and who's coming in? He said, it's all VLAN traffic. The server's smart enough to understand that if VLAN, if you plug somebody into VLAN 30 on a port, you set a port up to VLAN 30, you plug them in. And we tried it. I said, wait, before you leave, we're going to try. I believe you. I think he's a wonderful guy. He's smart, intelligent. He taught us stuff. I told my partner today, in seven hours, we probably learned something that you would sit in a college classroom for a whole semester to learn. And we we got the understanding seven hours. So we not only paid him to, to pretty much set it up and make it work, we also paid him seven hours of education time for us. Win-win situation, folks. Absolutely, I can't say enough about this gentleman. So I said, well, we're going to set my uh, partner's computer up here on VLAN 99 because he set a scope up for 99 for your management VLAN. Uh, he took his IP address out. He said, refresh it. It gave him a dot 99. I said, wait, okay, well, that's a fluke. That's pretty cool. But before you leave, I want to make sure I know this works. So I changed his port to, to VLAN 20 or VLAN 30. Refreshed it. Now he had a 192.168.30 address. That is how you do it. Hands down, easy to do. Matter of fact, today at work, we went in this morning. This We had the consultant out Monday. This is now Tuesday. We went in this morning. I had my partner create all the VLANs on the DHCP server. Um, I went and created the VLANs on the um, the VLANs on the um, the back end layer three switch. So I put all those on. And on the VLANs on the switch, all you do it's it's just incredibly easy. So you create your VLAN, give it an IP address, all right, and then you put a command in there, and it says DHCP helper. H-E-L-P-E-R, which is a totally weird command, space, and give it the IP address of your DHCP server. So all that does is when you tell somebody, when you when you put somebody on VLAN 30 or VLAN 50 or 100, whatever, it goes to DHCP server and says, hi, I'm here from VLAN 30. Can you give me an IP address, please, on the, on the .30 network uh, so I can give it to this user? And the server goes, here you go. Here's your .30 address. It shoots back out the network. Goes to that, I mean, this is really super quick. And boom, it's got a dot .30 address. You change another port, boom, they'll have a dot .100 address. Boom, they'll have a dot .20 address. And I asked him, I said, well, why do we want to use the DHCP server instead of using the switch? Because we figured the switch is newer, maybe be faster. He said, you guys familiar with looking at your log files for your DHCP server? We said, yeah, we do it all the time to find computers out there on the network, you know, to because we can take a, an IP address um, and you can, you know, basically find a name or find a name and know what IP address they have. He goes, yep. He said, that's why you want to use the DHCP server because you're familiar with it. So I thought that was huge. That was incredible for him to say that. And it, it was just uh, unbelievable. So, and, and folks, I've had consultants before and don't be one of these guys. Don't be one of those consultants out there that go out and <clears throat> you tell people what they need and you walk away, you know, uh, don't do that. And, and I hope you listening to this show or watching these, uh, these podcasts because you're given other consultants, a really, really terrible name. Um, uh, matter of fact, I used to work for a nonprofit organization and I told the CEO one day we we're sitting, I said, you know, I got to bring in an, a consultant because I need some help with some. He said, Nope. He said, don't you ever tell me you want a consultant. He said, all they are is high-priced people to listen to your problems. And and believe me, don't get me wrong. A lot of you people out there may consider yourself to be consultants. But me, I call myself a working consultant. There's a difference. 
the working consultant will go in or sit at home, take what you need from that client, from that customer, design a plan, design, you know, plan of attack for that customer, and then go in and do the work for them. Because they don't need you to come in and say, oh, this is what you need, do, 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 do. You need new computers, a new server, you're going to need a new switch and some new uh, network cabling in your structure, maybe some new wireless access points. Okay, have a good day. They don't need that, you know. Advice is cheap. You get that for free, you know, pretty much. So, and a lot of times I do, the really good people in this business do what's called free consulting. And I know you may be making your living off of this, but... Oh, excuse me. But free consulting is you go in, you get to meet. It's your interview process. You go in, you get to meet with the client, sit across the table with them, preferably without a laptop in front. You don't want a big screen for you. So what do you want to do today? And start typing. It's probably not a good idea. Um, I like to take an iPad in maybe and take little notes in Evernote. Um, The phones are still a little weird because if you pull your phone out, I know you're taking notes and you're typing in it. They may think you're texting somebody um, when you're trying to meet with a cli- with a new client. So be very careful with your cell phone. It's still not the best thing to take notes on. I know it's good for us technologists. It's wonderful. I use mine all the time. Uh, and the voice notes in Evernote, you know, just drop a voice note in. Today I got to uh, do something and, and I have a voice note. That's important. So anyway, be a working consultant. You know, work with them, meet with them. Free consulting is absolutely hands down probably the best way you'll ever get business. So I think we talked about everything about the routable IP addresses. We we hit that. We we understand now about, uh, or no, we didn't talk about routable IP addresses. So in if you're looking out there, if you're trying to find a new ISP, a new internet provider for a company, and the one thing you got to know, most internet providers, I know when I ran my own internet company, we would give your business one IP address. And you would NAT that address out to however you need to NAT it out. But sometimes there is uh, a reason where you might need more than one routable IP address. And if you're not familiar with the routable IP address, that's much different than an internal IP address. Just look at your computer in your house. Look at the address. It's most likely it's a 192.168. That's an internal IP address. The external IP address could be something like 72.625, or that's an address that the ISP owns, right? And that will route through your through your router in your house. So this is a basic network. The same thing takes place on a much larger scale in a business or company. So and I told you before, we have student texts and we're, we're teaching them uh, about all these routing and gear and packets because they understand how their home network works. They have a pretty good understanding of that, about forwarding packets and stuff. But in business, in company, you may have to ask your ISP, hey, can I have 10 routable IP addresses? Can I have 30 routable IP addresses? And the IP4 addresses are getting pretty scarce out there. So it looks more and more like people are starting to push IPv6, which is a whole nother um, issue to deal with. And I'm sure there's people you can hire out there and people you can find to help teach you that, uh, or you can learn on your own. But anyway, so just remember how many routable IP addresses you need And you don't need a routable IP address for every device on your network. And it's very, very bad practice to do that. And I'll tell you why. It's because it's a hacker field day. It's a hacker paradise to do that. If I can sit and I can see every computer inside of a building, because every computer has a routable IP outside address, it's very bad practice. 
you know. And the whole firewall thing goes out the window. People say, well, I turned on the Windows or the Mac firewall on my computer. I'm pretty sure a hacker can get around that in about two seconds. So that's not a great firewall. Um, maybe if you're sitting in a coffee shop again, not a great firewall. You probably want to VPN your stuff out to some good known location. But that's another day. Talk about that. So know how many routable IP addresses you need. And we try to route, uh, if we're using Class C networks like on VLANs, I attempt to route every Class C network out to its own outside address. So I have 253 addresses going out for every one routable address in my NAT system, uh, in my NAT statement. People will tell you uh, and preach to you that you don't need to do that, that you can run a full Class A network through one IP address. But let me tell you, we used to do that, and that was a bottleneck. Our internet at that time was so horribly slow, uh, it was just off the charts. So I took a weekend. I went to work on a Saturday and Sunday. I got my paper out, and I started writing out. I started drawing out ideas. What can I do without spending more money using the available equipment I have and the knowledge that's in my head to figure out how I can do this? So I started natting all my IP addresses out by only class C. So instead of having 2 million IP addresses going out through one routable IP address and everything trying to translate through the tables, I now have 253 addresses going out per each routable IP address. So at that point, I think right now, and I'm kind of reliving this and fixing this, but um, for right now, I'm using 13 outside addresses to route my traffic outside because I have 13 individual things coming back from my translation tables. And it took the internet, uh, a very slow internet at that time. We had a very slow connection, and it took it off the charts for speed. So uh, Monday morning, I had people calling me saying, I don't know what you did every weekend, but it's amazing. And that's the kind of thing you have to do. Uh, you have to be able to think, they say, think outside the box. Take what you know, take what you have, and make it better. If you can do that, then you are a great technologist. All right. So we talked a lot about creating inside IP addresses. That's routable addresses. And we talked a lot about creating inside addresses. But I think that's pretty much all we want to discuss tonight. We talked an awful lot. I went a little bit longer than normal, maybe. I'm not sure exactly where I went there, but uh, a little longer than normal. Uh, I don't know if we have any live years now on YouTube or not, but this is getting recorded for YouTube. So if you're listening to the radio show, um, the tips from the server and radio show or the podcast, by all means, check out 42 Techno Man. That's number four, the number two Techno Man uh, on YouTube. And, and you can watch the video from tonight's, uh, tonight's podcast. So it's just something new I've been doing, uh, something kind of cool. Um, I've been accused a lot of times of talking with my hands, and uh, <laughs> it gives you a great way to, to, to see my, my understanding of stuff by talking with my hands, I guess. But um, anyway... Hopefully you'll enjoy that also. Hopefully you'll comment on those and let me know what you think. Folks, you know, it's that time of year um, when we're buying Christmas gifts for everybody and we're spending a lot of money online. So to enable to support this show, you know, send me the donations of thousands of dollars. Uh, you can send those donations. I'm just kidding. No, I don't want you to donate money. Donating is okay. And I, and I have a lot of folks that donated to my shows. Actually, if you go to Jack's Tech Corner, there's a donate button there, and a lot of people have donated to the show, and I, and I always appreciate that, but I don't ask for donations. Uh, this time of year, anyway, if you're going to donate, you know, uh, you know, maybe go out and find um, you know, one of the kettles with the bell ringers, Salvation Armies, and throw a little bit of money in there. Uh, donate to the homeless. Donate to a toy drive. Uh, it's very important this time of year to be able to give 
to others. And that's what we try to do here. But if you're buying for others and you're using Amazon, why wouldn't you use my Amazon link? You can find that Amazon link at tipsfromtheserverroom.com. Make sure you shut your ad blocker off. And before you buy anything from Amazon, just click on the Amazon link. It doesn't cost you anything more and small proceeds come back to the show to help buy new equipment, new gear that I need very badly. Uh, there's some more stuff I want to buy. Uh, I'm preparing to purchase a, uh, I can't remember. I think it's called a black magic adapter to allow me to hook in my HD camcorder, my 1080p HD camcorder uh, to get a lot better video content for you folks out there. I'll be able to zoom in and out on stuff. So I think it's really cool. Um, so, but to, to get that money, I got to get these proceeds in there. Uh, this show is pretty much always ran on the show pro proceeds uh, from you folks using the Amazon link and taking the online courses. Online courses? Oh, yeah, that's what I'm going to tell you about next. Hey, if you want to learn Windows Server 2008 R2 or Windows Server 2012 R2 or VMware ESXi Server from A to Z, install to administration. And a lot of people like to say this, and you will be taking it to the next level. And I'm not sure what that next level is, but hey, you'll you'll get there. You'll get to the next level from wherever you're at now. You'll be at the next level. And it's always up. It's never down. So please sign up for one of these courses today. And uh, you're going to learn so much. You know, I get emails all the time from people in the course and says, Jack, I can't believe this is all you're charging for these. You should charge a lot more. And I always say, well, you can pay me more. And they never do, though. They, they never pay more. I set these courses up, and I'll tell you straight out, they're $250, $250 US, so I don't know what the, the exchange rate is wherever you live. I have a lot of people from overseas taking these courses, so I don't know how that all works through PayPal, but I'm sure they figure it out, and, and they send me what I'm supposed to get, and they charge you what they're supposed to charge you. But look at these online courses. If you go to tipsfromtheserverroom.com, the, the link is at the top of the page. It says online courses. You click on that. And you simply just click on one and you can go in there and you can sign up for it. And somebody wants to say, Jack, if I sign for the course, when does it start? It starts as soon as you sign up. As soon as you go through the PayPal thing, you can log back in and boom, there's all your courses. Uh, there's all the videos. You click a video. You watch the video. You take a two or three question, uh, a little quiz, two or three question test. And the reason I did that is I wanted the certificate to mean something. Um, I don't want you just to have a certificate of completion. You know, did you watch all the videos? I have no idea. Uh, you tell me you're, you finished, you watched all the videos, and, and I email you the certificate, um, but I don't know if you really did anything. I don't know if you learned anything. So what I want to do is, um, I just had that discussion today, is, you know, learning is not the measurement of, of grades and uh, graded assignments. I just had that discussion today with somebody. But this is a way that I can tell that you actually, because I'm going to give you a certificate that's going to help you get gainfully employed. And I want to make sure that you got the knowledge, um, you know, or if you're doing something, you say, well, yeah, I learned that from, uh, you know, Jack at tipsfromtheserverroom.com. He taught this to me. So I want to know that you you got it. So that's why you take the little quiz. Um, you have to score an 80% overall for the whole entire course for me to email you the certificate. So, you know, do that. Uh, it's very, I've never seen anybody fail this thing. People get all hung up like, I got to take a quiz? Is Jack crazy? No, I'm not. I'm, well, maybe. But no, I'm really not crazy. Uh, it's just a way I can measure that you watched all the videos. So and if you ever have any trouble with a quiz or anything, email me and say, Jack, I don't understand or I messed up on a quiz. I can reset quizzes for you if you have to uh, to give you another crack at it. So don't get too hung up on that. 
But once you, uh, again, once you complete the course, I will email you a certificate to your email account. You can print that off. It's, it's, they're really nice certificates. Uh, people tell me they either frame them or put them with their resume, send them in a, with their cover letter and resume to companies and say, look, I am continuing my education. And that is huge. Believe me. So once again, you can sign up for those at tipsfromtheserverroom.com. Folks, I want to thank you, uh, as always, for downloading and subscribing to these shows. Thank you for watching the YouTube videos. Um, in some way, one day I'm going to get more of you to call that voice number. I don't know why everybody's so scared. Um, I've called Mike Smith's, <laughs> I've called Mike Smith's voice number quite a few times. I said, "Hey, Mike, you know you're doing a good job," or you know, I got this question, I got this thought, you know, or or he'll do a topic and I'll say, you know, we've done that before at work, and, and we've learned this is a better way to do it. So that, that's the kind of stuff I'm looking for. Don't be scared to call, you know. Um, and we'll play it on the air. That's the nice thing is we'll play it during the podcast. You'll get to hear yourself back. So um, my wife says sometimes like it's like a narcissist where you want to hear yourself or see yourself. But uh, that's part of podcasting. That's part of vidcasting. We have to edit this. I got to edit this video at some point. So that's exactly how that works. So folks, um, again, thank you so much for being here, watching these shows on YouTube. And uh, I do truly appreciate you coming around. It's because of you is the reason that podcasters do this stuff. We don't do it just so we can, believe me, as much as my wife will tell you, we don't do this just so we can listen to ourselves later in the car. Um, I do do that once in a while just to make sure the audio was okay and everything turned out fine. But um, I don't listen to the whole show because obviously I know what's in it. All right. But thank you so much, folks. And I'll talk to you next week on Tips from the Server Room. Bye for now.